so good to worship. This is the, it's been a couple weeks since I preached live. I preached on video and then Pastor Aaron last week. Um, but we are continuing this series called Famous Last Words, and we are going through the book of 2 Timothy. And these are Paul's last words, last written words that we know of. And it's important, the last things you say, I, I believe they're important. And so I think it's important that we look at these last words because either these are his final instructions. And we're getting ready to look at this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2. But before we do, I really want to set the groundwork because there's a word in this passage that we're going to look at that kind of anchors all of the other content around it. And we're, we're only going to look at three verses out of 2 Timothy. We'll visit some other verses. But uh, there's one word that anchors all of the rest that we're going to talk about today, and that is the word holy. How many of you guys, I, all of us have heard the word holy before? You may be familiar with that word. How many of you guys have ever used it before? Maybe holy cow. Anybody have ever, ever said that before? Holy smokes. Some of you guys have said something else. We're not going to say that. Uh, but we use the word, we know the word holy. We, we, you know, we think about it at Christmas time. We have, oh, holy night, right? We sing these words, holy, and we find this word in books and and uh, maybe, and even as we invited the Holy Spirit today. How many of you guys have maybe been familiar with that word? But if you come from a background like I do, like a charismatic Pentecostal background, it wasn't the Holy Spirit, it was what? The Holy, see some of you got it, it was the Holy Ghost. And you knew that you were having church if you were having the Holy Ghost there. And that's just kind of something that, uh, something that we said. But this word holy is so important. You can find this word like I say, in popular culture, you can find it in books. But there's one place that I think it's important for us to look at where this word holy is found. And it, if you go all the way to the book of Revelation, at the very last book of the Bible, this is painting a picture of what is happening in heaven. So I want you guys to use your imaginations with me and try to imagine what is written. Because when you read the book of Revelation, you really need to use your imagination to be able to help you see what's actually happening. So Revelation chapter 4, verse 5. Put on your imagination right now and let's just try to imagine what's going on. It says, from the throne, that's the very throne of God. So imagine the very throne where God sits, okay? That's the picture that's being painted. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Has everybody got this picture in your mind yet? I mean, we, our imagination can't fully capture what the reality of it is, but let's just do our best, okay? The throne, lightning, there's these seven torches of fire all around. And before the throne, as it were, there were a sea of glass like crystal. All around And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. Now, this is going to be hard for us to keep going in our imagination because it gets even more detailed and somewhat strange, okay? And it says there are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. The second living creature is like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature with that of an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings and full of eyes all around and within. Has anyone lost yet? <laughs> in your imagination, you're doing the best you can. I get it. Okay, so just imagine the throne and lightning and thunder and a sea of glass and these four living creatures that are strange creatures with six wings and eyes all in and, and around. And day and night, they never cease to say, 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This word holy is uttered about God. And, and so I'm going to give you three, three points about this word holy. And the first one we really have to understand is this. Number one, that God is holy and there is no one like him. That's why they say holy, 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 because God is holy and there is no one like God. What are they saying? Well, this, this word holiness or holy appears in the, the Bible over 900 times. And what this word actually literally means is to separate or to set apart. Another way to look at the word holy is it simply means other. So when we talk about God being holy, what we're saying is that God is set apart, that God is something other altogether. Like it's hard for us to wrap our imagination around what God is because God is, is set apart. He's holy. He's other. Now, Tozer, A.W. Tozer said this, he said, God is holy with an absolute holiness that knows no degrees. So in other words, there's, I mean, God just is holy. He is other. So I'm going to ask for your help today. What are some things that maybe set God apart from everything else? Can somebody just give me some things about God that set him apart from anything else? Anybody want to jump out there? Omnipresent. Omnipresent. Okay, so that means God is everywhere. Now, we are limited. We are stationary, right? And we're one place at one time, but God is what we call omnipresent or all present. Somebody give me something else. Slow to anger. Slow to anger. Okay, give me something else. It sets God apart. He, all right. He knows time. He's, he exists outside of time even. And so anybody else? Somebody give me something else. He's all loving. Okay, we can keep going on and on. One of the things that hasn't been said yet is that God is actually the creator of all things. There's nothing that sets you apart more than being the creator of everything, right? And that's what it goes on to say here in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9. It says, and whenever that, now continue with this imagination right now, continue with this picture in your mind. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, he he's, exists forever, he has always been and will always be. And that stretches the boundaries of our thinking, right? The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne to worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. And then it gives us a why. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So I want you to think about this. There's nothing that would set God apart more or make God more holy than the fact that everything else besides him, he created it. Everything we see, everything that has ever been, everything, I mean, the universe, all of these things, and we could talk about all the expanse of the universe and all of God's creation and name all of the animals and the insects and all of the, the I mean, all the wonders of, of uh, the things that God has created but God created all of them, and so God is set apart from all of those things because God created and made every single thing. And that stretches our thinking, right? And what I want to do today is I do want to stretch our thinking and try to get us a little bit bigger idea about who God is and why God is so holy. And how sometimes our thinking gets so focused down to what we can see, maybe even in the room that we're in, instead of understanding how big God is. 
And one of the ways that we can try to understand how big God is by, is by looking at what God has created. And so I want to give you an illustration that kind of helps stretch our thinking a little bit to understand how big and actually how holy God is. So let's look. All right, in John Bevere's book called The Fear of the Lord, he tries to give us a picture to wrap our minds around how big God's creation is and how big God is. So let's think about this. The, the moon orbits around the earth. It's about 239,000 miles away from the earth. So if you were to get in an airplane, travel about 500 miles per hour, it would take you approximately 19 days to get there. And yet light comes from the moon in about 1.3 seconds to us. Why? Because the speed of light is 186,282 miles per second not per hour, that would be about 670 million miles per hour that light travels. That's pretty amazing, that's huge. Okay, let's take it out even further. So our sun is about 93 million miles away from the earth. And so it, that means if you were to get into that jet and you were to travel 500 miles per hour to try to get to the sun, it would take you about 21 years nonstop to get there. All right, so what would that look like to build a scale model, just to give us a working knowledge of this? So uh, the, look at this, this is a peppercorn right here. Okay, that's gonna represent Earth right there. And then this ball is gonna represent the sun, all right? That's kind of the size comparison. Roughly, it's not to scale, but it's pretty close, okay? That's about the size comparison. Now, to give us the distance or a picture of that, we would have to set our sun down and we would have to walk our peppercorn about 26 meters or 26 yards away from where we place the sun. And that is a scale model of the size of the earth to the size of the sun and how far away it is. Now remember, it's going to take you 21 years nonstop. Think about where you were 21 years ago and imagine traveling 500 miles per hour nonstop and eventually you would reach the sun and you would die, but you would reach the sun. And what's amazing is that sunlight is only eight minutes old. Now, imagine if we were to look at our next star away from the earth, so the sun, the sun but the next star is about 4.3 light years away from earth. So how far away from this peppercorn do you think we would have to place the next star according to our scale model? A mile, two miles, 10 miles? No, you would have to place the next star about 4,000 miles away from this peppercorn. That's amazing, that's mind blowing. Now let's take it even further. If you go outside in the night, I love to go outside and look at the stars. They say there are some stars that we can see that are between 100 and 1,000 light years away. And that there are even some that you can see with the naked eye that are even 4,000 light years away. So think about that, that means that that before Moses parted the Red Sea, that light was released and it has been traveling at 670 million miles per hour ever since. And it's been traveling without slowing down, without stopping, and it is just now reaching our eyes. Now, you think about other galaxies. The other galaxies next to us are thousands of light years away and even millions of light years away. And, and they even estimate that there may be hundreds of billions of galaxies. And yet Isaiah says that God measures the universe in the span of his hand. We serve an amazing God. We serve a holy God. There is no one like our God.
How many of you guys know God is pretty big, right? God is pretty big. Now, this is what you have to understand. Tozer also goes on and he says this. It's a little bit longer quote, but it kind of gives us a picture. He says, we cannot grasp the true meaning of the divine holiness by thinking of someone or someone very pure and then raising the concept to the highest degree we are capable of. No, God's holiness is not simply the best we know, infinitely better. We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart. It's unique, it's unapproachable, it's incomprehensible, it's unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he cannot even imagine. God is holy. He is a big God. He is set apart. God is holy. He is set apart, and there is no one like our God. Point number one. Point number two, God tells us to be just like him. Is anybody confused yet? <laughs> How can God be so set apart and the, there's no one like him? And yet God tells us to be just like him. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as he who has called you is holy, God is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. How is this possible? Since God is holy, and that is a separate category altogether, the only way you could be holy is somehow becoming God or somehow being transferred into the category with God. That's the only way. Because God is holy and holy is separate and the holy is love. And that seems ludicrous because it's impossible because God is in another category. Yet God tells us to be holy as he is holy. How, how did this happen? Well, Jesus was the bridge. I want you to think about the power of what Jesus did on the cross. When he died, he took our place, he took our sin, he rose from the dead, he built a bridge for us. And, and I want you to understand what else happened on the cross in Scripture. I don't have time to build all this out, but I just want you to understand that, that we were given the gift of God's righteousness or right standing, the same thing that Jesus has with the Father, we now have with the Father because of Jesus. So that when you are found in Christ, Pastor Aaron talked about this last week, that, that we are found in him and he is found in us. When, what happens when you become in Christ, what happens is you become partakers of his divine nature. So that you now start to become a partaker of the divine nature of God, a partaker of the holy, and you start to become holy as he is holy. And even so much so that God begins to refer to those of us who are in Christ as saints or holy ones, set apart ones in him. All, all throughout scripture you see this set apart or holy, that when you are found in Christ you now start to become holy. You have been set apart. And, and I want you to understand there's a couple ways this happens. One, when you are found in Christ, when you surrender your life to Christ, what happens is you have been set free from the power of sin. You have been set free from sin. You've been set apart. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 17 says that you are a new creation. Think about this. God created everything, and then when you say yes to Jesus, he says you now become a new creation. Why is that important? That's important because you now become a partaker of, of the divine nature of God. And it says the old has passed away and the new has come. In Romans chapter eight, 6, verse 18, it says that you have been set free from sin. You were once chained to sin. How many of you guys know if you're chained to sin, 
It's hard for you to do the right things that God wants you to do, right? Because you're a chain of sin. Whenever you try, it's hard for you to do the right things. But it says, when you're found in Christ, you are loosed, you are set free from, you are set apart from sin, but that's not all that happens. It says that you are also now chained to righteousness. So you have been set free from or set apart from sin, but now you have been chained to righteousness so that when you're found in Christ, it should be that now that you're chained to righteousness, it's hard for you to sin because you're chained to righteousness. What once was hard for you to do what was right, now you're chained over here to to righteousness, to holiness. You're a partaker of the divine nature of God, and now it becomes harder and harder to sin because Jesus made away. Jesus built a bridge. Now, let's go all the way to the scriptures that we're supposed to be reading today, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20 says this, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, and some are for honorable use and some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. And here it is, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So when we become set apart, he's painting a picture here of what happens, of this process that happens, that there are all these different vessels, but the idea is that we become set apart as holy. And when, you're, you, when you become set apart as holy, you become useful for the master. How many of you guys want to become useful for the master's work, right? All right, so just because you've been set free from, there's another piece to this. And so I want to help kind of give us kind of illustrate what Paul talked about here and and try to give us a picture of exactly what he's talking about. So let's take a look. All right, so when we are in Christ, we are set apart. We are made holy because of Jesus. But let's look at this illustration that Paul used. So he talks about these clay vessels, these wood vessels, uh, these silver and these gold vessels. And they all have different purposes. So let me just kind of illustrate this for you. We have some different vessels around our house. We've got... uh, You know, this is the cereal bowl. It's for a common use. It's just for every day. Nothing special about it. It just holds cereal. It's got a fancy straw where you can suck the milk out at the end. Uh, So, you know, that could be a wood vessel or clay vessel. Or we've got this other cereal bowl that we've had for years. We use it all the time. It takes a beating. But it is our Fruit Loop uh, bowl. I don't even know where we got that. These are just, these are like wood and clay. These are like, there's nothing special about them. They're not used for very uh, you know, great purposes, but they are what they are, okay? But then we got stuff like, this is uh, one of my daughter's special, uh, this is her ramen bowl, and it's got this special little holder, and this is, uh, I mean, this is only used for special things. It's only used uh, for certain types of dishes, and this is uh, a very special type of bowl, so I have to be very careful with it. Um, but then we even go further, because there are some things that, are you know out of sight most of the time, but they are so special. They've been set apart so much that. Well, I gotta go get one. Uh, almost broke that. Uh, but this is one that gets used. I mean, only on special occasions, like so for Thanksgiving or something. We might put a turkey on this. Uh, just a very rare occasion that that one's ever going to get used. It's been set apart from all of the other dishes, uh, but here it is. It's special. We're, we're protective of it. 
So this is the example that Paul uses. Now, what's interesting is that all of these, in Paul's illustration, all of them are found in the house. I mean, so like in our uh, you know, situation, that's Paul's using, all of these are probably found in the church. I mean, you have clay, you have wood, you have silver, and you have gold. And, and what he's implying here is that even though all of them are found in the house, not all of them are going to live up to the special purposes that God has called for them. Some of them are going to just be everyday common and maybe, you know, the, you know, the scripture said that these are noble and these are actually ignoble or, or dishonorable use. And so all of them are found in the house. And so what's interesting about that is that, that this dish right here, for example, this dish is not just, and this is what I want us to catch, it's not just set apart from all the other dishes. But this dish is actually set apart for something special. See, when we think about holy, many times what we think about is just trying to separate ourselves from evil, trying to separate ourselves from sin. Like if I want to be holy, I got to separate myself from all these other things. And that's part of it. But many times what happens is we miss the part that we're set apart for something special. So the, the, the difference is in Christ, you're not just set apart from something. You're not just set apart from sin. You're not just set apart from Satan's work. You're set apart for the work of God. Watch this. We see this again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22. He says, so flee youthful passions. Set yourself apart. Get rid of sin. Get away from sin. Run from that. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes on and he says, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So he's saying, flee from something, but run towards something. That's the message that's being communicated here. Now, what's interesting is that Paul implies that you don't have to stay wooden clay. It's not just like, well, this is the way I am. Some people are set apart for things, and this is just the way I am. This is just the way I am. This is just my personality. This is just my lot in life. This is just my situation. Now, he implies that if you, if you clean yourself or you make yourself holy, set yourself apart from, but also set yourself apart for, that eventually you will become these vessels of silver and gold and special purposes. So the question is, are we set apart from? Yeah, but can we be set apart for? Let me give you a couple examples of this. Let's think about our budgets, okay? It's one thing for me to set my money free from, like let's say the cable bill, or Netflix or something, that's fine. But what happens is a lot of times when people set their money from something, it just goes into this like miscellaneous category and ends up just getting spent on whatever, right? Um, it's totally different for me to set my money from something, but then to Dave Ramsey people, reassign it, give every dollar a job to reassign it now to giving to somebody or for investing somewhere. See, so set apart from, but also set apart for. Let's think about uh, other areas of our life. I think about our agenda or our time. It's one thing for us to free and set apart some of our time. But then if we just squander that time, then what we've done is we've just set, up, uh, set apart for instead of set apart from. So is our budget set apart not just from bad things, but also for good things? Is our agenda not just set apart from bad things, but also set apart for good things? How about our thought life? It's great to not think about bad things, and that's being set apart from. But it's totally different when we reassign that and set it apart for some things. That's the stuff that Paul is talking about. Look at this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us. 
from the kingdom of darkness set apart from. But he's also transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son that's set apart for. So the Christian life of following Jesus is not just being set apart from something, but it's being set apart for something. And some of us, we have trouble trying to figure out what we are set apart for. Have you ever had trouble figuring that out? Like, it's like I'm, try, I'm spending all of my time trying to be set free from sin. I'm, setting, I'm spending all of my time trying not to do bad things, not trying, trying not to do the wrong thing, and we don't understand what maybe God has called us to or set us apart for. And every time I think about that subject, I think about the story of Gideon in the Bible. And many of you guys are familiar with Gideon in the Bible. Uh, if you're not, let me just tell you a little bit about Gideon. Israel was having, Israel the nation was having tough times and they were being overrun by a lot of people uh, at this time that the, that the story happens. And in fact, Gideon is the, he, he's, his, his clan or his, you know, his group of people are the least in the nation of Israel. Like they're the least on the list of importance. And he's the least, and his family is the least in that. And he's the least in his family. So his identity is the way he looks at himself is not very high. He thinks of himself as like way down here, right? And in fact, we, we find him ca- caught up with him in Judges chapter 6, verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord came and sat underneath the terebinth tree in Ophrah which belonged to Joash, the Abiezerite. I tried to say that last night, but didn't do well either, so you try it. Um, While his son Gideon was beating out the wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. What's happening here? Gideon is actually in a winepress trying to thresh wheat. Now, if you know anything about this process, that is not where you thresh wheat. You thresh wheat, you, you do it out in the open air so that the wind carries the chaff down and you can separate it out. He's in a wine press. He's hiding. He's scared. He's not the picture of courage here, okay? He's like the least of the least and he's hiding and he's, he's afraid to even be seen right now. He's hiding in a wine press. Gideon is a story of a guy who doesn't really know who he is. What I'm saying is that he doesn't, He could have went his whole life without discovering who he really was. But he's living a life way below what his potential is, and he doesn't even know it. He thinks it's normal. And my question is, I wonder how many of us are living a life way below where we are supposed to be, and yet we think it's normal. And this is where Gideon's at. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're struggling with this idea of like, I don't see myself as holy. I don't see my, yeah, I'm trying to get set apart from this stuff, but I don't see myself as set apart for all these other things. If you're struggling in this area, here's what I want you to understand. And here's what I want you to see. And this is point number three, that God always sees more in you than you can see in yourself. So, You have to understand that, that there might be something in you that you can't see, but God can see. And that's exactly what happens to Gideon because he has this aha moment with God. In Judges chapter 6, verse 12, the next scripture. So this angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and he said, now again, get the picture of this. He's the least of the least of the least. He's hiding in a wine press, not the picture of courage. And this angel comes to him and says, mighty hero. You guys know Gideon probably did not feel like a mighty hero. 
And in fact, he wasn't demonstrating any of the qualities of a mighty hero. But God saw something in Gideon. God knew that he was a mighty hero, that he was going to rise up, and he was going to be the deliverer of Israel, that he, was, that he had hero on the inside of him before Gideon ever knew he had hero on the inside of him. Now, the, the issue is, was Gideon a mighty, was the angel lying? No, the angel was not lying. Gideon was a mighty hero, even though he didn't know it yet. That was who he was. He just didn't know it yet. And I, and I just wonder, what if you're missing information about your life right now? About who you really are. And you're building your life off of wrong information. And it feels normal. And it feels right. And if you look around at all the circumstances, every single circumstantial cue would tell you and confirm the information that you're living off of. But what if God sees something and knows something about you that is true, but you just don't know it yet? See, here's the thing about truth. The problem is you won't live the truth until you know the truth. And when you know the truth, here's the next problem. Sometimes when we know the truth, we ignore the truth. See, Gideon could have heard the truth, and in fact, he did struggle with this for a while. He threw out some tests before God, if you remember right. See, sometimes what happens is God comes to us or maybe somebody else in our life comes to us and they show us something, reveal something about ourselves. And what happens is we've now been exposed to the truth, but we start to ignore the truth because we think, how can that possibly be my story? And Gideon's a story of a guy who didn't know who he was, but started to find out. And see, the reason why a lot of us struggle with this idea of holy, when I say that you are holy, many of us struggle with that and we think that's not me. The reason why is because we many times equate holiness with perfection. And so when we think about being holy, we try to think about our proximity to perfection. And in fact, we measure our worth by our proximity to perfection. How close am I to perfect? And if we see ourselves far away from that, we think, well, I must not be holy or anywhere close to that. How many of you guys ever played that game, perfection. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like you put a battery in this game and you push this thing down and all of a sudden it starts a clock for like a minute. How many of you guys have played this game? You have all these pieces to fit in like within a minute and, and they're all different shapes, right? And, and what happens after the minute goes, all of a sudden the pieces fly everywhere, right? It's a great way to raise your blood pressure instantly, right? <laughs> And just to stress you out, like, really quick. And, and we're scared. So when that clock starts, man, I mean, we are scared to mess it up, right? That's what perfection, the pursuit of perfection is. What happens when you pursue perfection is you're scared to death to mess it up. And what happens is we end up living this performance-based life where whatever we produce, it equals our value. And listen, I, I've told you guys this before, but I think it's so powerful. When I was growing up in my teenage years, literally, I, I learned this lesson. I, learned, I worked in construction, and literally, whatever we built that day equaled how much value was in our pocket. And the more we could build, the more we put in our pocket. And I went through years in some of my formative days of learning this lesson in the natural that my production equaled my value. Now, I never would have said that out loud. I never would have realized how deep that could go into the way that I functioned in other areas of my life, but it was actually discipling me to that reality. That my production, however much I could build, became how much I was worth. 
And, I, and years and years later, I, I was struggling one time, and God revealed that to me. He said, that production equals value has now crept into your relationship with me. That you think you have to produce so much or you're not worth this much. You have to read your Bible this much or you're not worth that much. You have to pray that you have to do all these things. And what happens when you have a production equals value mentality, it leads you to become a spiritual slave or a spiritual servant. You think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son was in the, the pigsty. He'd messed up his life and he thought, man, I'm a son, but I want to go back to my father's house, but maybe he'll just let me at least be a servant because I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. And what happens is we develop this servant or this slave mentality. Let me give you some uh, markers of people who have this, this identity. Number one, they believe their position before God is based on their own merits and talents. Have you guys have ever been there before? It's like my status before God this week depends on what, happened, what I did today or what I did yesterday. Like, I won't even go in and pray before God if I screwed up yesterday because I'm not worthy to come and pray. And this mentality, it can creep in. Like, like you screw something up, and, and sometimes the last thing you want to do is go to God because you screwed something up. How many of you guys know that ought to be the first place that you go, right? That you go to God for grace in time of need. Why? Because he's a gracious God. But so many times when you have this mentality, your reaction is not to run to God in trouble, it's to run from God when you're in trouble. Right? Number two is this. You're constantly threatened by others. Why would you be threatened by others in this mentality? The reason why you're threatened by others with this mentality is because if you believe that your worth is based on how much you produce, then if someone does better than you, it raises the bar of comparison. Now I have to do better because my value is based on comparison. So you get discouraged when someone does well. You get discouraged when someone has a win. You get discouraged when somebody has something to celebrate. Why? Because you're in this mentality of this is a competition. And, as long, and so, in fact, you actually want others to do bad because it makes you look good. And if it makes you look good, then somehow you must be producing more, which must be looking better to God. All right? Do you see how this works? All right, number three. They're highly competitive. This continues this. They're highly competitive and are only in relationships with people who can help them. Again, if your goal is production equals value, perfection, then I need to surround myself with every single opportunity to try to get ahead. Number four, they're constantly trying to prove something to someone. That could be to other people. That could be, that could be even to somebody who's not even alive today. Some of you are still trying to prove something to somebody who doesn't even, it's not even in your life anymore. Here's the good news. Tired of bad news, right? Let's look at some good news. Galatians chapter four, verse four, it says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That, that idea of perfection, he's gonna redeem us out of that so that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you are no longer, here it is, you are no longer a slave. He didn't save you just so that you could be better at keeping rules. He didn't, he didn't save you just so that you could now become a really good rule keeper and be a really good person. That's not what the gospel message is. It says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. He saved us so that he could be a family with us. 
And so, so many of us think that holiness is a pursuit of perfection. Let me tell you what holiness is. Holiness is not a pursuit of perfection. Holiness is a pursuit of God's presence. Because if you try to pursue perfection, you will always fall short. But if you pursue the presence of God, what comes with that? The fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, righteousness, faith, peace, joy, all of those things, you become a partaker of the nature of God and thereby become holy as he is holy. Holiness is a pursuit of his presence. Your value, your value is not based on what you do. Your value is based on what, who Jesus is and who he's created you to be. And here's the thing. Here's what you've got to understand. When you understand who you are, it starts to affect what you do. So many of us are so, are so focused on what we're doing that, it, that we don't settle who we are first, and then that will affect who you are and what you do affects who you are. Here, here's what you've got to understand. Jesus built the bridge. But some of us do not know who we are yet. Some of us are like Gideon. And we just don't know who we are. Let me end with this story, okay? We're gonna end with this story. I can have the worship team come back up if, if they want to at this time, but let's end with this story. Uh, about a year and a half ago, my son, Sean, my oldest, got married. And uh, so they've been married for about a year and a half. And a, and a few weeks ago, my son and my daughter-in-law came over uh, and, and we were just hanging out. And then all of a sudden, my son gets up, kind of stands up and, and gets into one part of the room. And he stands up and he's like, hey, guys, I, I got something to tell you. And so we're like, okay. And he said, we just found out that we are going to have a baby. And I'm like, I'm a grandfather. <laughs> like, I'm 43. I'm, like, I'm trying to process this, you know. I'm like. And we're like, oh my gosh, we're like sitting in this news, right? And then he, then he said, but there's one thing, you can't tell anybody. <laughs> and they're on vacation this week, so I'm telling everybody. <laughs> they are on vacation, but that's not the whole story, okay? So they said, you can't tell anybody. And because we have some people we want to tell. I'm like, okay, okay. So we went for that next week, and walking around, I'm like, I know, like, I'm a grandfather. I, I can't tell anybody, you know? And then I went, and I did a wedding, and uh, I was at actually Dylan's wedding over here, and I went to Dylan's wedding, and, uh, and to do that wedding, and I'm like, I'm walking around. I'm like, I, I, I have some news. I can't tell anybody. I'm like, new. I can't tell anybody. And so, but then my parents were there, and I, I looked at them, and I thought, they are great-grandparents, but I, I can't even tell them. They're still walking around as grandparents. They don't even know they're great-grandparents. <laughs> Did it make it any less true? They just didn't know it yet. They had a whole new identity. They didn't know it. Didn't make it any less true. So then... We go over there, and, and we all surround them, and they, they tell them the news. Like, okay, you, we're having a, a baby, and now all of a sudden they know that they are great-grandparents. Whereas just seconds before, they were walking around with this identity of just grandparents, right? Is anybody catching what I'm saying here? 
See, there are some times that we walk around and there's something on the inside of us. You have a new identity on the inside of you. You may not even know it yet. Does it make it less true? No. You just don't know it yet. See, there are some things on the inside of you that other people may not know yet. Doesn't make it less true. Just means they don't know yet. Most likely there are things on the inside of you that God sees in you. And God may even hinted to you about. But here's the problem. Sometimes there is a, there's an adjustment period. You see, when, when I got the news, I had kind of been preparing for it because I knew that, that it was probably going to come. But when they actually told me the news, I'm like, I'm a, now I know the truth. Now the truth is loose, right? But honestly, there was still a little bit of time that I'm trying to mentally adjust to the reality of it. I'm trying to think, I am. I can, that seems weird. I am a grandfather. I'm, a, I'm processing it out, right? See, there's times in your life when God reveals truth to you, but there's an adjustment period. There's times in your life when the truth comes and the truth is available to set you free, but you have a period of adjustment. And you have to, even though you know the truth, there's an adjustment period to the truth. And the adjustment time is up to you. The adjustment time is up to you. And, and here's what I, I want you to, to catch. I had a decision to make. I don't see the baby. I don't see the reality of this truth. And I've got like eight months or so before, but, but one day I'll be holding that baby and it will become fully undeniably true, right? Undeniable. What do I do between now and then? I live by faith in the truth that I know that I cannot see. I live by faith. Because one day, I'll be holding the baby and everyone will know my identity. But between now and then, I trust by faith and I live in the identity even though no one else can see it yet. See, God, God always sees more than you can see in yourself. Let me end with these two Bill Johnson quotes. It says, if you knew who God made you to be, you would never wanna be anybody else. If you fully understood who God created you to be, you'd stop the comparison. You'd stop the production equals value. You'd stop all of this stuff. You'd stop trying to go for perfection. You would just live out the identity that God is calling you to. And the second one is why I'm preaching this message. Because some of you, God has hinted at you some things about your calling, your identity, and your future. He's hinted those things, at, he's, he's revealed parts of it. And you know parts of it, but you're tempted not to believe it. You're tempted not to walk in it. You're tempted not to follow it out. But you know there's something there. And I wanna challenge you to lean into that, to follow after that. Even though you can't see it yet, even though you can't, even though maybe you, you, God has given you a new identity, He's hinted at your calling. And you're tempted just to walk it out under an old identity. Some of us are walking around, we've been given new identities, new callings, new futures, and we're still walking around with old information. 
We're still, we've been, it's been revealed to us, in my case, like I'm a grandparent, but I'm still walking around as if that's not true. It doesn't make it less true. It means I've chosen to ignore it. And here's the, the quote. We often think that accountability is something we hold each to each other to, but to, to keep each other from doing something wrong. So we, a lot of times we think of accountability groups, like I'm gonna hold you accountable. Have you sinned this week? Like, don't do that, that's bad. Like that's what we think of as accountability groups. He said, but in the kingdom, we hold each other accountable to our destiny and to our prophecies. What I'm trying to do today is to hold you accountable to your destiny. Trying to hold you accountable to the identity that God has placed in your heart. Trying to hold you accountable accountable to the calling that God has placed in your heart. God is holy. He invites us into this process of walking out this holiness. But you're not just set apart from something. You have been set apart for something. And you can stay a common vessel all you want. Or you can choose to begin to walk into vessels of gold and silver, which will actually be useful for the master. Not useful in the way you think, but useful in the way that the master thinks. And that's what we've been called to do. Would you guys stand up with me as we get ready to worship? Lord, I pray that you'd seal this word in hearts, that you would stretch out our thinking today, that you would remove the barriers, remove the walls, remove the fences that we've put up. Lord, that you would expand us on the inside to understand what you are doing. Let us have eyes to see the true identity that you've put on the inside of us. Lord, I pray for everyone here who's hesitant to lean into the hints that you've been giving them about their future. Hesitant to lean into the hints that you've been giving them about their identity. They've been looking more to circumstances rather than to what you have been saying. Lord, we break that right now in the name of Jesus. We say, let freedom come. Let freedom reign. Let freedom come in Jesus' name.